Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is 1 John chapter 5, where my Bible is opened. 1 John chapter 5, going to read right down there at the end of that letter. One little verse that will set the stage for our entire study this morning. And so get those Bibles out and be turning them to 1 John chapter 5. That's where we'll start momentarily. As you're turning there and as you're getting settled in for this part of our worship, let me join in the welcome from earlier. It is great to see everybody this morning. We do have lots of guests in attendance and we appreciate so very much that you've come our way and hope that you find everything that we're doing today to be done in spirit and in truth. It may be that you're seeing some things that are done here or said here that you've got questions about or you've got questions just about us as a congregation or you just got questions about spiritual things and about the Bible. Be glad to entertain those questions. We'll sit down with the Bible, see if we can't come to an answer. We're just a group of people that are trying to follow the Scriptures as best as we possibly can and we want to try to help other folks to be able to do that as well. In 1 John 5, let's get right to it this morning. John closes this epistle with these words. 1 John 5, verse 21. He says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. In the Bible, what is the major sin that we read about over and over again as being condemned on practically every single page? What is the dominant wrongdoing all throughout the Word of God? I think the answer to that question isn't very hard to answer at all. You start reading in your Bible and it doesn't take you very long to figure out that there is the sin and there is the problem of idols and idolatry. It is just all throughout the Bible. Very, very early on, God calls His special people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, out of the land of idolatry. And one of the very first things that God commands the Israelites in the Ten Commandments is... Don't make idols. Don't make them. Don't worship them. Don't worship me through an idol. Have nothing to do with idols. Job number one in the Ten Commandments is to forsake idols. And then, of course, what's the whole rest of the Old Testament about? It's about the Israelites worshiping idols, making idols, being involved in idolatry. The Israelites just cannot get enough of idols. They're always falling down and worshiping idols. The result of that is, is that God routinely sends prophets to condemn those who practice idolatry. And then that is usually followed up by God punishing those who practice idolatry. That cycle repeats itself generation after generation after generation. The Old Testament, in a very real way, it is dominated by the sin of idolatry. Now, some of that changes a little bit when you get to the New Testament. Because the Jews aren't really worshiping idols anymore. However, there are still lots of idols in the Roman world and in the Roman culture. You go anywhere in the first century Roman Empire and you're going to see various temples that were erected to idols. You're going to see various idol shrines that had been made and crafted by hand. That stuff was just everywhere you turn in the time of the New Testament. And so add all that up. Whenever you open up your Bible, you can turn to just about any page. You're going to read a lot. You're going to see a lot of examples of, and you're going to see lots of warnings against idolatry. Okay? How many idols did you see last week? How many people do you know of personally who are idol worshipers? How many people have stopped you and said, Hey, where's the local idol temple here in Somerset? I'm looking to worship me some idols. Chances are, the answer to that is zero to all of those questions. You know, you couldn't walk in a place like Corinth 
or Ephesus or Rome or Antioch without seeing an idol temple or an idol shrine set up. In fact, most of the meat that was eaten in New Testament times, it had been sacrificed to an idol. The supermarket was right next door to the idol temple and so they just sold the excess meat there. You know, our meat today is marked USDA approved. It is not marked offered to Zeus. We don't live in that world, do we? We don't live in a world that's just bombarded with physical idols and idolatry. And as a result of that, we can sometimes feel just a little bit disconnected from the Bible. We read a verse like 1 John 5 verse 21 that says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Okay, I'm fine with that. No problem there. Never worshipped an idol before. Don't plan on starting anytime soon, but... Thanks for the warning, John. It's very easy for us, I believe, to kind of be dismissive of what the Bible says. To dismiss all those biblical admonitions about idolatry and to think that, well, that just doesn't really apply to us today. It applied to those folks back then, but it's really not an issue for us today. Well, that's exactly why this morning I am presenting to you the second installment in our year-long preaching theme on taking sin seriously. Because I do want to talk to you for the next few minutes about how idolatry does impact our lives in our world today. I want to talk to you about what I believe is yet just another battle in the long war between idolatry and Christianity. Between false gods and the real God. This morning I want to show you that that war, that battle continues to be waged Because of the sin of modern day idolatry. And as we do that this morning, I do want to impress upon you the very real possibility that you or I, we can be idol makers. I want to impress upon you the real possibility that you or I, we could be idol worshipers. I want to impress upon you the real possibility that you or I could be guilty of the sin of idolatry. And I want to do that this morning from Acts the 19th chapter. Would you find Acts chapter 19 and just kind of stay parked there? Keep your finger marked there because we'll, we'll jump out a few times and we'll just keep coming back to Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, we have the account of the Apostle Paul in the city of Ephesus. And he is doing what he does pretty much everywhere that he goes. He's preaching and he's teaching the Word. And by the end of this chapter, what we find is we find Paul smack dab in the middle of a full-scale riot in the city of Ephesus. Well, what in the world calls there to be a riot in Ephesus? Well, let's go find out. Read with me in Acts chapter 19. Start with me about in verse 23. In Acts 19 verse 23, about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades, and he said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, 
But also that the temple, the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all of Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. Just stop right there. This is a story that as you can see is just all about idols. Idols are at the very center of this account. And from this account I believe we learn three certainties about idolatry. Three certainties that we need to understand today. And that starts with this first certainty. And that is that idols, idols are anything, anything that promise security and joy apart from the Lord. Let's just think for a moment about the idol that's being addressed here in Acts the 19th chapter. The idol being talked about here is Artemis. If you're reading from an older translation, it probably uses her Roman name, Diana. The more accurate rendition is Artemis here. Just who exactly is Artemis? Well, in Greek mythology, Artemis was the daughter of Zeus. And she was the goddess of the hunt and the goddess of fertility. She was revered in kind of much the same way that some people today kind of revere and venerate Mother Earth. You ever heard people kind of talk about Mother Earth as some kind of a a God in and of itself? That maybe gives you some idea of how she was thought of. And Artemis did have, as Demetrius alludes to, Artemis did have an amazing temple that was built just for her in the city of Ephesus that was constructed all the way back in the 4th century B.C., That means that by the time Paul is standing here in Acts 19 and he's looking at that temple in Ephesus, that building was already older than any of the structures that are standing right now in the United States of America. And it was an impressive and massive structure. It was about a mile northeast of the city setting up on a hill where from practically any vantage point, you'd see it. You'd see it wherever you were in Ephesus. It was 450 feet long. I don't even think that picture is even a good representation. 450 feet long. That's like a football field and a half. It was 225 feet wide. That's nearly a whole other football field. 60 feet high. 127 columns surrounded and even inside that structure. Furthermore, that temple, that temple not only served as a place of worship, but that temple also served as a bank. That was kind of interesting for New Testament times. Money could actually be safely deposited there. And as a result, that drew lots of tourists, lots of pilgrims and passers-by. It was, of course, considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And people could not only view that and worship Artemis and be amazed at the structure, but they could also bring their money safely to be deposited there. What that then provided for the residents, the citizens of Ephesus, was a great deal of security and joy. As long as the Ephesians had Artemis in her temple, everything was going to be fine. Everything would be okay. Tourists would come. Craftsmen like Demetrius, they would have their trade and they would be employed. Banking would, of course, pump money into the economy. Artemis would make life great. It would make life grand for the Ephesians. You know what? That is exactly what idols do. They promise some measure of safety, and security and even joy and happiness. That you don't have to, you don't have to serve God and obey all of His rules and, you know, get caught up in all of that God stuff. No, just, just rub your idol a little bit. 
Everything will be fine. Everything will be good as long as you have your idol. That means then, and I want you to listen carefully here. That means that idols, idols don't have to be statues made out of wood or stone or silver or gold. You understand that? Idols are anything that we put in the center of our lives, occupying the place that only God should occupy, and we then build everything around that. I want to say that again. Just because it's not a statue made out of precious metals doesn't mean that it's not an idol. Can I show you that? Look in the book of Ezekiel. Hold your place in Acts. In Ezekiel chapter 14 in the Old Testament, here in the land of captivity, the prophet of the Lord is sent to... To Israel, specifically to talk here to the elders of Israel. And notice what he says. In Ezekiel chapter 14, I'm reading here in verse 3. Ezekiel 14 verse 3, Ezekiel says, Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts. Think about that. Taking an idol into one's heart. The New Testament counterpart to that? That would be Colossians chapter 3. Would you find Colossians 3, please? In Colossians chapter 3, Paul instructs the Colossians, and in essence he's instructing us as well. In Colossians 3 and in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Colossians 3, 5, Put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, notice this, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You see that? Covetousness amounts to idolatry, Paul says. What the Bible is doing is the Bible is challenging us to think beyond just statues made out of wood or stone or silver or gold because as long as we are thinking of idols only in those terms, in terms of a physical image that you can see and you can touch and you can feel, then we're always just going to tell ourselves that, well, I'm okay. I'm not falling down worshiping Baal or worshiping a golden calf and so everything's fine with me. I'm not an idolater. I don't have to worry about that. Well, hold on just a sec. We need to pump the brakes. It may actually be true, and I hope it is true, that you don't have a big statue in your house that's right there sitting in the center of your living room. But can I ask you, what is it that is sitting at the center of your life? What is it that gives you comfort? And brings you the most happiness and the most joy. What is it in your heart that gives your existence meaning, purpose, and direction? One writer put it this way. He said, idols, idols aren't usually bad things. But rather they're good things that become ultimate things. That's exactly right. Idols aren't always bad things. They can be good things that end up becoming ultimate things. I need to push very, very hard here. I need you to think. I need to think. Do I have an idol in my life? Could my job be an idol? Could my family or a relationship be an idol? Could my hobby, my extracurricular activities be an idol? Answer this question. What is it that you think you need in order to be happy? What is it that you just cannot imagine that if I didn't have this, that oh, 
It'd just be the end of my existence. I just, I just wouldn't even want to live if I didn't have this. That's how important. Fill in the blank. Whatever it is, that's how important that thing is to me. If the answer to those questions is something other than the Lord, then chances are we've got an idol on our hands. And so I'm pushing here. In fact, I'm, I'm lingering here just a little bit. Because the truth of the matter is, if we do not search our hearts right now, if we do not think seriously and take seriously this idea of idolatry in the heart, if I cannot find something in my life that has bumped God off of the throne, or at the very least is threatening to knock God off of the throne, then really the whole rest of this lesson isn't going to make very much sense to you. In fact, the whole rest of the Bible isn't going to make very much sense to you. Because the Bible is about that constant struggle, that war between Jehovah God and false gods. Those things that we put in our life to find security and joy separate and apart from the Lord. What is, what is it that I have convinced myself that I just cannot live without? What is it that you cannot imagine your life being fulfilling Without having that thing. Maybe it's something that we've told ourselves, well, when I get this, then, then life will be good. When I reach this certain point, then all oh, things will really turn around. When I finally have this, whatever we build, whatever we order our lives around, whatever it is that calls the tune and we dance to it every time, that, that is an idol. Because once we then understand what an idol actually is, now we can actually listen clearly to Jesus. Look in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in verse 33. In Matthew 6 and in verse 33, Jesus says, Matthew 6 verse 33, He says, but seek first. Talking about priorities now. Number one, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness And all these things will be added unto you. He says you put God in the right place. You put the Lord in the center of your life. You put Him on the throne of your heart where He belongs. And everything else will just just fall into place. Everything else will just fit exactly where it's supposed to fit. But idols, idols will say, don't do that. You you don't need to do that. You, You just need me. Just pursue Me, if you pursue after me, life will be so much better for you. And so we listen to those idols. And as a result, our life becomes about the pursuit of money or popularity or getting that next level of the promotion or buying that next big thing or retiring or traveling all over the world or whatever it may be. And that thing becomes the ultimate thing. It becomes the most important things in our life. It becomes an idol. Anything, anything that we seek to find security and joy in apart from God, that's idolatry. The Ephesians, the Ephesians built a temple to their idol. But you know, just because you didn't go home and build a big temple in your backyard to your idol, doesn't mean that you don't have an idol in your heart. And what exactly happens whenever you have idols or idols in your heart? We'll turn back to Acts chapter 19. Notice what Demetrius, the silversmith, the guy who's kind of getting the crowd all riled up. Notice what he says about Artemis and about about the idol business that they were running there in Ephesus. These guys were making a killing off of the idol industry there. 
Notice how Demetrius, as he addresses some of his fellow craftsmen, he says there, look again in verse 26. He says, you see, you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made without hand, or gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger. Not only that this trait of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all of Asia and the world worships. Would you please notice there that Demetrius does not say, well, looks like there's a new religion in town. This Paul fellow's coming in here and he's spreading Christianity. And you know what? It seems like an awful lot of people are interested in his message. Awful lot of people are interested in that gospel stuff. And it's hurting our business. In fact, it's hurting our business pretty bad. But you know what? I guess we'll just learn to get along with those folks. I guess we'll just kind of figure out some way to to kind of coexist with with the God that he's talking about and with Christianity. Is that what Demetrius says? No. Demetrius doesn't say anything like that. Demetrius recognizes, just as you and I must recognize, that idolatry... Idolatry and Christianity, they are diametrically opposed. They cannot coexist. The gospel is at war with anything and everything that would oppose God and oppose His agenda and that would desire to take the place of God in our lives. The gospel is all about recognizing that our greatest need, our one true source of joy and security and fulfillment, that that comes from a relationship with God. The gospel is all about clearing everything else out of my life so that we can then be filled with God and His Spirit and His things. That means that idols have to go out in order for the gospel to get in. Of course, idols, idols never go away quietly. Idols hook themselves into our hearts and into our emotions. That this is what makes me truly happy. That this is what my life is just all about. That this is, in fact, who I am. And so for the gospel to then come knocking on the door and say, Hey, hey, you need to get those idols out of here. That may cause people to get upset. That may cause people to get angry. That may cause people to get violent. That may even cause people to start a riot like they did in Acts 19. Because idols don't give up. And they don't just quietly acquiesce and go cower over in the corner instead. They constantly pull at us. Always in conflict with the ways of Jesus Christ. In fact, I can show you that. Look in Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, I want you to watch Jesus confront idolatry in Luke chapter 9. And yes, if you're familiar with Luke 9, you know there's no statues here in Luke chapter 9. There's no images, there's no temples that Jesus is condemning here. But there are idols Idols in the heart in Luke chapter 9. Look down there at the end of the chapter. Luke 9 verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Hey, is your idol comfort? Is your idol luxury? Well, you can't have that if you're going to have me, Jesus says. Look at the very next verse, verse 59. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. I've got some, got some family obligations. i got some family things I need to tend to. Verse 60, Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. As for you, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. The idol of family, 
out. In order for the gospel to get in, verse 61, yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Got some loved ones need to tend to. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Idols out in order for the gospel to get in. In fact, I believe that this understanding about idols, it may very well explain to us what's going on in Luke the 18th chapter. Would you turn over just a couple of pages? This is the encounter between Jesus and the man that we've come to know as the rich young ruler. In Luke chapter 18, some people think that Jesus is he's just kind of rude to this guy. Seems like he's just kind of, you know, I mean, he's to the point, but I don't know. Just seems, just seems like something rude about this. Read with me in Luke chapter 18 and think about this passage against the backdrop of idolatry now. In Luke 18, beginning in verse 18, a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. And honor your father and mother. And he said, well, all these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, well, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Verse 23 now. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. I want you to look there in verse 22. Because what you see right there is the battle that's being waged between God and false gods. That this is the call to set your idols down and to put Jesus on the throne of your heart. And I want you to please notice as we talk about this ruler here, this is a good fellow by all accounts, a moral fellow a respectable guy, an upstanding citizen in his community. This is the kind of guy who I imagine would never fall down and worship a metal statue. Yet according to verse 23, this man was an idolater. Jesus demanded that his idol was going to have to go. And this man said, no. You see, idols in Jesus, they just don't get along. You know, this is cats and dogs. This is oil and water. This is fire and ice. Christianity and idolatry, they can never be reconciled. Yet isn't it true that sometimes, sometimes we try to do that? Sometimes we try to reconcile the two? We come down here and we come and see God on Sunday. Do some things to kind of keep God happy. Kind of, you know, we keep it, us and His good graces for a little while. But then we run back over here to our idols on Monday... We're falling down and we're worshiping them throughout the week. And what we hope is we hope that the idols don't see what we're doing when we come here. And we hope that God doesn't see what we're doing with our idols all those other days of the week. We don't want the two to ever mix. We don't want them to know what the other's doing. But that's, that's just not going to work, is it? It's never going to work. Because ultimately, the gospel of Jesus, it's going to confront us and it's going to say that only God can be there in that place in your life. Only God can be at the center of your existence. Only God can be the reason for your living. Only God can bring you the fulfillment and the joy and the security that you seek. And so what the Gospel says is, make up your mind. You cannot have both. You cannot have God and idols at the same time and somehow make that work. And Acts 19 tells us exactly why that is. 
Because the third and final certainty from Acts chapter 19 is that at the end of the day, idols, idols just don't satisfy. They just don't. They really don't satisfy the way that we would like for them to. In Acts 19, Demetrius, he, he paraphrases Paul. Look again there at verse 26. Demetrius is paraphrasing some of the things that Paul has obviously been teaching. And I don't know about you, but I, I can almost picture Luke, the author of Acts, I can almost picture Luke kind of chuckling under his breath as he's actually recording these words. In Acts 19, verse 26, Demetrius says, he says, this Paul... He has persuaded and he has turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Well, perish the thought that gods made with hands aren't God. The nerve of someone to say such a thing. You know, what's really interesting to me about that and what's interesting to me about all of the commotion and the riot that follows in the next several verses is that neither Demetrius nor any of the other craftsmen or any of the other idol worshipers, not a single one of them shouts and says, Artemis will take care of us. Artemis will protect us. Artemis will, will take care of that Paul character. That Paul guy's coming in here and he's spreading this Jesus message. I'll tell you what, Artemis will strike him dead on the spot. She's the great goddess. She'll take care of Paul. Nope. Nope. Artemis is supposed to be the protector of the Ephesians. But in the end, in the end, she's the one who needs protecting. And deep down, I think Demetrius knows that. And so do all those other craftsmen. They love their idols. And so they want to just keep it all in place. And so they work diligently, desperately almost, to keep propping her up. But they know, they know deep down, they know that it's a losing battle. You know, what happens here in Acts the 19th chapter is actually very reminiscent of the contest on Mount Carmel. Do you remember that story in 1 Kings 18? Between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. They build two altars and going to have this contest. And those prophets of Baal, 450 of them, they call all day long, shouting to the heavens for Baal to send down fire from the sky. In fact, they get soldiers caught up in the moment. They start cutting themselves to try and get fire to come, but... The fire never comes. You know, you can cry louder and longer, but nothing's ever going to change. And that's because idols, idols don't satisfy. Idols at the end of the day can't do anything for you. You know, the truth is in idolatry, you're the one who's making all the sacrifices. You're the one who's doing all the giving. You're the one who's doing all the work here. Think about it. Think about this for us today. Stop thinking about metal statues. Think about us. If your idol is your job, you will sacrifice maybe your integrity in order to win another client and to move up in the rankings. Young people, if popularity is your idol, you will maybe sacrifice and give up some of your convictions, the things that you know are right, in order to be seen as cool and popular in the eyes of other young people. Think about what it is that you have identified in your heart as crowding Jesus out, or maybe at the very least, it's threatening to crowd Jesus out. If you look closely, if you examine that thing, whatever it is, you will see that really what happens is it's it's making demands of you. It's not so much that it's doing something for you. No, it's making demands out of you. You're the one constantly sacrificing for it. What is it that you are sacrificing? What is it that you have given up for the idol in your heart? I'm thinking, for example, of the man, 
the man who's thinking about leaving his wife because his idol, what he thinks life is really all about, is sexual passion. And so he sacrifices. He sacrifices his marriage. He sacrifices his children. All for what? All for the passing pleasures of adultery. I'm thinking about the addict. The addict who is now stealing in order to support his habit, in order to support his idol. He's now risking going to prison for a long, long time because of what his idol is demanding of him. Think about if your idol maybe is financial success and working your way up in the stock market and having lots of money. Can you picture maybe a man like that, maybe becoming a workaholic? Burning the candle at both ends. Putting work ahead of everything. Ahead of his family obligations. Ahead of his church family obligations. Because the idol, the idol's always asking for more, more, more. It just never ends. You see, idols can never provide the joy and the security and the fulfillment that they promise. Because all they do is take and take and take some more. You want to see something radically different to what idols offer? Look in John chapter 3, one final passage this morning. In John chapter 3, instead of fake gods, phony gods that can't do anything and won't do anything, look at what Jesus says. In John chapter 3, this is verse 14. In John 3 and verse 14, Jesus says, that just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Jesus uses kind of an unusual term here to describe His crucifixion. He uses the term lifted up. And He compares that to the bronze serpent that was lifted up in the wilderness during the time of Moses. Numbers chapter 21 tells us about that. About how God instructed Moses to to, to make and to then set up and lift up this bronze serpent. And anyone who was bitten, they could then look on that bronze serpent and, and they would then be healed. In much the same way then, Jesus says, I am going to be lifted up. And if you will turn your eyes away from the false gods, from all of the idols in your world, if you will look to Jesus, what exactly will you see? Well, what you will see is that Jesus is sacrificing Himself for you. That Jesus is lifted up in order to give you, verse 15, eternal life. Just let that soak in for a second. Think about all these demands that idols make of us. And now think here about Jesus. God comes here to lay down His life For us. He gives Himself as a ransom to buy us back from the slavery of sin and to grant to us eternal life. Jesus provides us exactly what we need. He satisfies our needs for joy and for security and for forgiveness and for a relationship with God, for what our heart truly longs for. Jesus is the very opposite of what idolatry has to offer. Idols just take and take and take and they never actually really give anything. Jesus comes and He is the giver of everything so that we might have real hope and real life in Him. You know, those idolaters in the city of Ephesus, what they needed was the very thing that they were resisting. They needed the power of the Gospel. They needed the Gospel message that would point them to the way, the truth, and the life 
the one who brings salvation for all. What the Lord was trying to say was, Demetrius, put your idols down. Craftsmen in Ephesus, put your idols down. And in the very same way, the Lord is saying to each and every one of us, put your idols down. Put your idols down because only Jesus can really satisfy. Now, if you were to go across the pond, and you were to visit the city of Ephesus today, what you will see is you will see the ruins of the temple of Artemis. In fact, if you travel to places like Palestine or Greece or down in Latin America, some of those countries, you'll find similar ruins of temples long abandoned. You know what that says to me? That says to me that idols just don't last. What's interesting though, is that you can look practically anywhere in this world and you will see lives that have been permanently and forever changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, nearly 2,000 years have passed since those events in Acts chapter 19 when Paul and the gospel defeated Artemis in that battle at Ephesus. I want you to understand that that war continues to wage on to this day. No, your Bible is not outdated. And it is not out of touch when it says to keep yourselves free from idols. Now, Just because you don't have an idol set up in your house, just because there's not an idol temple just down here on the next street corner, does not mean that idolatry does not continue to plague people and the people of God even today. Our world today has just as many, if not more, idols that are vying for our affection and they are vying for our attention. The Gospel of Jesus says, come on folks, it's time to make a choice. You can't have it both ways. It's time to make a choice. You're either with me or you're against me, Jesus says in Matthew 12 and verse 30. And so we'll conclude with that question. Are you with Jesus or are you against Him? If you're not a Christian this morning, if you're not one of God's children, You have an excellent opportunity right now to lay your idols down, whatever they are. And in fact, if you're not a Christian, if you're of the age of accountability, you understand what it is that you need to do in order to become a Christian, you understand that you need forgiveness of your sins, but you've just not done anything about that. I don't know what your idol is, but there's something. There's something there, something that is standing in the way of you having a relationship with God. It's time to tear it down. It's time to obey Jesus. This morning you have the opportunity to confess your faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. To repent and turn from sin and then to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of those sins. All of your past sins will be washed away. You can come up out of that water a Christian. You can begin serving the Lord, giving Him your all. I'm here to tell you that no one or no thing can ever provide you with the joy and the contentment and the hope and the satisfaction that is found only in Christ Jesus. Can we help you this morning to find just that? If so, would you make your way down front and express those desires? Do it while we stand and while we sing.